One of the strangest sights in all of the Bible is the corpse of a young man of God laying on a roadside and on each side of his lifeless body was a donkey and a lion. I want to talk to you about being surrounded by donkeys and lions. It is a challenge for the last day's church. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you just take these next few moments May the Spirit of God begin to challenge our church, churches across the city, across America, and across the world. I pray that you would raise up a church full of the Holy Spirit and full of people that love God and are going to begin to be used mightily of God in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians or 1 Kings 13 is really our story. Let me read to you the ending of the story. This is what it says. It came about after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him for the prophet for whom he had brought it back. And now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the road with the donkey standing beside it and the lion was standing on the other side of the body. Now, I believe this is a scary and prophetic picture that could describe some of the present-day church if we don't get something critical and get it right. It's the relationship between the young and the old that you're going to see in this story. We'll address that in a few moments. But here's the picture. You have a dead body sitting on a roadside surrounded by a lion and a donkey, and God left it, left it there for us to see for thousands of years. Think about this for just a moment. The donkey didn't run, the lion didn't attack, and the body of a disobedient young man of God is left untouched. I kept thinking about this. Why these two animals? Why a donkey and a lion around a dead body? Think of it. These creatures were under divine orders from God to show the end result of this disobedient young man and really this disobedient old prophet. I want to just challenge you today because the Bible from the very beginning supports and champions for that old and young relationship. All, all, All throughout the Bible, you have Elijah and Elisha. How about this one? Moses and Joshua. Let me just pause for a moment on Moses and Joshua. What's interesting to note of Moses and Joshua is that while Moses had a successor that he positioned for victory, that was Joshua. Think of this. Joshua did not. While Moses was putting honor and anointing Joshua, Joshua didn't do it. And because Joshua didn't do it, and because Joshua didn't have someone, a young man to pass the baton to, baton to you know what comes after the book of Joshua? Not, not a successor, but the book of Judges. And those that know their Bible know that this is a group of people that were doing whatever they would want to do. That's what's scary about not getting this relationship right. You look to the New Testament, there's Paul and Timothy, there's Jesus and the 12 disciples. See, we have to get the old prophet and the young man of God relationship right, I believe, for the last day's church, or we're going to see what was shown in the book of 1 Kings, a dead body surrounded by lions and donkeys. In 1899, Charles Duell worked for the federal government. He was an old 
commissioner of the United States Patent Office, and this was his recommendation. He said, we need to shut down the patent agency, which, which is for all new inventions and creativity. We need to shut it down, and this is what he said. Everything that can be invented has been invented. Thank you, Charles Duell. Think about this, folks. It was 1899. Seriously? This is incredible. Here's a new invention that I believe God wants for his church today. There needs to be a church that honors age, but champions the young. I believe we have churches full of young people. We have churches full of old people, but there is a last day's church that is coming that needs both these voices. See, these two age groups are critical to the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How do you know this, Pastor Tim? I want you to think about this because it's told us and prophesied in Acts chapter two. Get this now, regardless of your age, the godly have a word for any day and any generation. Each generation and this generation especially needs the dreams and visions that come from the people of God. It's not about an old person and a young person. I love what Martin Luther said, the reformer. He said this, if you young fellows were wise, the devil couldn't do anything to you. But since you aren't wise, you need us who are old. See, growing old is a wonderful privilege. And I wanna learn to glorify God in every stage of my life. I'm not sure of the age lines between old men and young men. In fact, if I could be personal for just a moment, I think I'm kind of between the, the old and the young, between a visionary and a dreamer. I don't, I'm not a young man, but I don't, I'm not sure if I'm an old man. But today I'm going to be a little bit bold. I don't want anybody to get offended. I'm going to put myself in the category just for a moment, because I think it's important, uh, uh, of a young man. So here's the other part. I want to take our general overseer, Pastor Carter Conlon, who leads our prayer meeting every single Tuesday night, and I have to... Don't, don't be upset. I want to put him in the old category. So me and the young, him the old, just follow with me here. And I want to read how important Acts 2, 17 and 18 is as we face the culture and the year and the days and the years ahead for the church of Jesus Christ and why the voice of generations is needed to speak to this country and to the world. Listen to what is prophesied in Acts 2.17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. Baptist preacher Vance Havner said it like this. He says, the Bible tells us when the spirit is poured out, young men shall see visions, old men shall dream dreams, and it is proper for an old preacher to be a dreamer as it is for a young preacher to be a visionary. I want you to just to bear with me here because this I think is critical for the body of Christ today. What is the difference between dreams and visions? It's really discussing what the, the, the purpose and role of that old man and that young man is. I think dreamers foresee what is ahead, but are not personally involved in it. Dreamers, I believe their role then becomes, they see something and they become prayer warriors and people investors. Their strength is limited 
The greatest gift of the dreamer, the older man, is to tell it, but to pray, to tell it and then to invest. When I think of the things that David Wilkerson, the founder of Times Square Church, and Carter Conlon, the overseer of Times Square Church, of what they have foreseen and what they see taking place, my heart is both challenged, but it also, I feel like God puts vision in there because the visionary takes what is foreseen and charts the course. They're dealing, the visionary deals with the who and the how of of those dreamers. But there's a warning to this. I want you to get this. If you dream, because the very first part of this passage says, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, but if you dream or try to have vision without the Holy Spirit, then, and, and think of this, then dreams and the visions without the Holy Spirit, because that's how this all starts, become self-serving. Think of it. Dreams without the Holy Spirit are self-gratifying. Vision, think of this for just a moment, because dreams and visions without the Holy Spirit are not only self-serving, but they become self-gratifying. See, the dreams without the Holy Spirit are about the past. Vision without the Holy Spirit is self-promoting. One wants the old days, and one wants to be known or famous. That's, that is critical to understand. See, dreams without the Holy Spirit guiding us is one longing for the past or one just wanting to be known and famous. That's why we need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit in our churches today. See, the last days needs both dreamers and visionaries filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid what is happening to the church today is we have, we, we, we have one without the other. We have vision but no dreams or dreamers with no vision. One group won't let go and the other group won't honor. Let me say that again. When, when you have only one of those, you have one group that won't let go and you have another group that won't honor what God has done in the past. And if we miss the old dreamers and the young visionaries co-laboring together in the last days, then you find the eerie ending possible from 1 Kings 13 speaking to a church's ending. See, the visionaries have insight to the dreamer's foresight. That's why we need people like Dr. R.T. Kendall. We need people like Pastor Carter Conlin. I need a Dr. R.T. on one side, and I need a Pastor Carter on the other side. I don't need a donkey, and I don't need a lion, and I don't need a dead body. I need a body, the body of Christ alive, seeing dreams and visions for Christ's kingdom to come. That's why even in the next few weeks, you're going to hear from those generals. You're going to hear from those, those, those incredible men. And I want you to prepare your hearts as, as Dr. R.T. Kendall and Pastor Carter Conlon, our general overseer, begin to challenge us. That's why to me, One of the greatest blessings is to come and preach every Sunday, but then we get a chance to hear from Pastor Carter's heart on Tuesday nights. There there is a name that was new to me, and I learned about it a few weeks ago. The name is Ignaz Semmelweis, and what he taught us um, over 200 years ago, or maybe a little over 150 years ago, is being done 10,000 times every single day around the world. In the mid-1800s, He worked at the Vienna General Hospital and he was trying to figure out something horrendous that was happening on his watch and his maternity ward. The mortality rate of the women who were giving birth to babies was one in 10. That meant if you came in there to deliver your baby, that one in 10 
were dying in the middle of childbirth. And that's why women were afraid to come to that Vienna hospital, um, which was famous in that area, to deliver their baby. And they were more comfortable and babies were being delivered out on the street because they were afraid of that mortality rate. It, 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 it puzzled Ignaz Semmelweis that he went on a four-month sabbatical and leave from the hospital um, to other places. He was also a researcher um, of cadavers, and he was going to look at other hospitals and look at their research program. And Vienna was a teaching and a research hospital. In fact, many of the doctors in that hospital in Vienna were splitting their time between the cadavers that were in the basement and the live patients, which were on the first and second floor. And then something clicked for, for this doctor. He was working with the cadavers and then would go upstairs into the maternity ward and work with the live patients. And what was taking place was germs from the cadavers were being transmitted to the live patients right on the maternity ward. Think of that. Then at that moment, the light went off and this doctor instituted a requirement that happened if any of you has visited a, a, a doctor, that the first thing that they do when they walk into the into a, a doctor's room is, the, is do what? They wash their hands. And that's where it was instituted. What happened was when they started to wash their hands, the death rate dropped to one in a hundred. And in fact, Samuel said this, he says, God only knows how many died because of my impurity or my dirty. The doctors were killing patients by treating, tra transmitting germs from dead bodies. What was taking place was, stay with me now, Dr. Semmelweis was touching the dead and hurting and even killing the living. That's why we always have to be careful who we join hands with, what we put our hands to, and then come to living meetings and living conversations that we can infect before you come to even, even being with people or this ch a church called, which is basically a hospital ward. We've got to make sure that we're joining hands with life. And that's why 1 Kings 13, which gives this picture of a dead body surrounded by lions and donkeys, is the story of an older man transmitting death to a young man. It, 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 is, it is horrific and then gives us one of the strangest endings in all the Bible. And I believe it's a crossroads passage. It's a crossroads for the church of Jesus Christ as we go into this next difficult season of a post-Christian world where the church is not celebrated, preaching is not celebrated, standing for convictions and preaching righteousness is not celebrated, but will be fought against. And that's why whatever we join hands to, whoever we join hands to, I want to make sure that we're transmitting life one to another. I, I want to make sure that as I'm holding hands of dreamers, spirit-filled dreamers, like Dr. R.T. Kendall and Carter Conlon, as, as we begin to see dreams and visions going into these last days of Holy Spirit men, I believe that God's church will prosper. God's church will come alive. God's church will be used in these last days. But let me just... In, just kind of give you the details of that tragic story of old and new gone wrong. A dead body surrounded by donkeys and lions, a transmitting of death from an old man to a young man. Let me, let me read it to you. This is in 1 Kings 13. Let me read a couple verses. It says, Now, behold, there came a, a, a young man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. Jeroboam was just a king. He had no reason to be there. He cried against the altar by the word of the Lord. This is the young man and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, 
Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places and burn incense, and human bones shall be burned on you. This is the prophecy of Josiah, a revival king, a reformation king that was about to come and literally begin to bring revival to the kingdom. And, and there is Jeroboam with a young man pointing his finger at him because he was taking on the position of a priest. He had no business being in there. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, he cried against the altar in Bethel. Jeroboam, the king, stretched out his hand from the altar saying, seize him, but his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so he could not even draw it back to himself. And the king said to the man of God, Please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him as it was before. I want you to think about this because this is, this is a king wanting to seize him and kill him and God begins to intervene supernaturally and freezes this wicked king coming against the young man of God. It was a, it was a legit miracle that just took place. Now, here's what happens after all this takes place. Now, an old prophet was living in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the deeds which the young man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken to the king, these also they related to their father. And the father said, which way did that young man go? Why, why was the old prophet getting involved? I, I, see, I see three dangerous words that hit this chapter. Let me just give them to you. It was the, the, the lethargy, the animosity, and the tragedy. I want to I just kind of uh, build on that just for a second because I think there's the lethargy that marked his ministry. See, verse 11 is critical. Listen to this. He was an old prophet, it says, who was living in Bethel. Why is that important, Pastor Tim? Because Bethel was the scene of Jeroboam's sin. He, there, Jeroboam set up a false religion, a false priest, he, and even he was becoming a priest, and even false festivals. In fact, no other king has this said about him except Jeroboam. And in First and Second Kings, it has this said about him. He made Israel, a whole nation, to sin. And it says it five times over and over and over again. And as this spiritual catastrophe is happening, the old prophet, think of this, had nothing to say to Jeroboam. The, the, the prophet who wants to say something to the young man couldn't even use his gift to say something to what was happening under Jerob, under his, under his watch. He was silent when a voice from heaven was needed in Bethel. And, and all of a sudden, the long silence had been broken like a, like a thunder peal as God raises up a young man of God to fight Jeroboam with a prophetic word and with a prayer. I, I don't think anything convicts an old lethargic Christian than a younger Christian on fire. And nothing inspires young Christians more than seeing old Christians full of joy, full of praise, and full of the Holy Spirit. But there was something else working in this old prophet. I think it's the animosity that seared his spirit. Here's what's devastating. The old prophet who did nothing against Jeroboam seems to want to do something now that the young man of God came to Bethel. 
I, I think about this. I, it's, I believe the church is like a is really trained like a group of Marines, like the armed forces. They're trained to fight. The church are fighters. But here's the part I want you to get. That, that's why you can have if with, with with being trained to fight. If you think about this, when when our soldiers are not fighting the enemy, it's easy for them to fight each other because it's inside of them. Don't miss this. Because when we're not fighting the enemy, we end up fighting each other. And, and that's the word of warning for the dreamers. The, the dreamer, that's the, old, that's the old prophet in this. See, those who have ceased to be active against the kingdom of darkness become active against the body of Christ. This is, this is so important to get. Those who cease to be active against the kingdom of darkness become active against the body of Christ. Why was this prophet bent on getting and fighting a young man and not even Jeroboam? I'm going to tell you why. I think it was pride. I think he was unmoved, unmoved while God's name was being dishonored. But all of a sudden, now he moves quickly to find the young man when his reputation and position was in question. That's incredible. See, it's much easier. Listen to me, body of Christ. Listen to me, leaders. Listen to me, church. It's much easier to critique the church than fight against the devil. It's much easier just to stand back. And here's a man of, of age and experience and position. And, and now this old prophet is being judged by the fire of God in this young man as being the prophet who did nothing. And that's why when I think about this, this old prophet, I kept asking myself, are we more active against the people of God than the enemies of God? Does it seem like we can always be critical of what's happening in the church and forget what's happening even all around us? Is it because someone's zeal and, and action in these last days has convicted you? That brings us to the tragedy that crowned this man's success. Think of it. The dreamer has the opportunity to either pour gasoline on the on the, the fire inside of this young man to get, to, to, to get him blazing with God or to pour water on his gift. For some reason, this old man thought it was right just to pour water on it. See, the old prophet used his voice and his gift wrongfully. The voice that once was prophesying, think of this for a moment, is now lying. The voice that would guide is now the voice that has lied. Here's where it comes. Look at verse 14. So he went after the young man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Verse 15, then he said, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I can't return with you nor go with you, nor eat bread or drink water with you in this place. And listen to what the young man said. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord that you shall eat no bread nor drink any water. Don't return by going, uh, do, and do not return by going the way which you came. And he said to him, "This is the old man now speaking to the young man. I, I'm a prophet just like you, and an angel spoke to me by the word. The, the the prophet who guide is now is now lying by the word of the Lord, saying, "Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water." God never said that to him, but he lied to him, is what it says. So he went back with him and ate in his house and drank the water. The old prophet brought the young men to the place of disobedience, danger, 
and death and eventually to the tragic end that we read at the very beginning. Listen to it. And when he had left, a lion met him on the way and killed him. A body was thrown on the side of the road with a donkey standing beside it, a lion on the other side, and a dead body right there. Think of that for just a moment. A lion that represents the enemy. That's, that's the, from 1 Peter 5, 8, that the enemy comes around like a, a roaring lion. The donkey represents pride and stubbornness in Psalm 32, 9. The end result of a disobedient young man and a stubborn old man is a dead body on the side of the road. God help his church today that allowed Satan or stubbornness to enter in, to have the tragic end of an insecure old prophet or a disobedient young man. That, that, that you had the, 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 the like, like, like Dr. Semmelweis touching uh, poison, touching, uh, uh, e- e- when you think about it, e- even the disease of a cadaver, and all of a sudden touching live babies. And now, like Dr. Semmelweis did, until the lights went on, this old prophet is touching this young prophet, and death is starting to set in. I, I, I want to be someone who brings life to situations, I want to bring life by my words. I want to speak life in these last days. I had that, that the opposite of, of happened to me. Not, not infected with, with, the, with, with death, but infected with faith. Just a few weeks ago, right here in our church offices, I got infected with life from a pastor who's serving in Pennsylvania, but was from Zimbabwe. Think of it. Zimbabwe and Pennsylvania. I asked Pastor Rob if I can tell his story and and he gave me permission. I asked him, I said, how in the world did you go from Zimbabwe to Pennsylvania? And he said, the Pennsylvania church saved my life. I said, tell me your story. And I got infected with life. I, I felt like I wanted to join his hands and go, man, let's, let me, let me be this way. Rob was a Christian leader in Zimbabwe and there his wife was pregnant and while he was there serving in a church, he was in the hospital and found out that he was dying and needing a liver transplant. The hospital where he was in that village didn't have not only a donor, but a surgeon to do the transplant. And, and, and timing was critical for Pastor Rob. A few years earlier, a church in Pennsylvania came and visited and did a missions trip to Pastor Rob's community. They, when they found out about Pastor Rob's condition, they took a picture and put it on a screen on a Sunday and told the church to pray. That Sunday, that Sunday that they put the picture of Pastor Rob up there and said, we, he needs a miracle. There's not a surgeon and there's not a liver. He needs a miracle. That Sunday in that church in Pennsylvania, the, the head surgeon of a Philadelphia hospital just happened to be there visiting on that Sunday. And as he saw that picture, he said to the pastor, he said, you get him here, I'll do the surgery and I'll take care of that young man's bills. Another young man was sitting on another side of that sanctuary, was sitting there and was praying. And he said, I heard the voice of God speak to me as the church was called to pray. He said, and the voice said, if that was your blood brother, or that was your blood sister that that from your from your family would you give your would you, would you give your liver and he said in a second and he said and the holy spirit spoke to him and says that is your brother you are to give your liver and on that sunday that that young man got a surgeon a new organ in his body a church that brought him over 
and got a brand new start from a missions trip, from a pastor who put his picture up, and from two generous Christians that sat there that day. When I heard that story, life came into me. I was just going, hallelujah, for the body of Christ, of what it can do around the world, how Pennsylvania can touch Zimbabwe. When I, when I contrast that to the old prophet in 1 Kings 13, who is, who is responsible for killing the love of this young man, his devotion is slain, his testimony is silenced, his consecration is destroyed, and his usefulness is ended because he was infected by, by death, by this, by this old prophet. I, I want people to catch life from us. I want people to catch life. I want these streets around us to catch the life of God, not disease and death. Not, not, not simply um, uh, dreamers who don't have the Holy Spirit or visionaries who don't have the Holy Spirit. This is not about trying, trying to hold on to a past and trying to be famous. It's about honoring the name of Jesus. What does this mean for us today? Why this is important for us as a church? Why this is important for young pastors and young leaders around the world to listen carefully and God's church? Here it is. Why are both the old and the young have to be part of the last day's church? Here it is. Number one. The young need to hear the stories of the old. Listen to Psalm 37, 25. David says, I've been young and now I'm old. And I want you to know this. Listen to David. I've not seen the righteous forsaken or their seed and descendants begging for bread. Listen to me, folks. I need the old to tell their story. I need to hear that the righteous has never been forsaken or their seed begging for bread. I want to hear the miracle stories of God's provision, God showing up on time. These are young leaders. We don't need to be critiqued. They need to hear the testimony. Young leaders need to hear, stay with God, hold, hold on to God's unchanging hand. That's what they need to hear. That's why my heart was Filled when I saw even our elders and elders' wives with Glenda and Elder Jerry, even doing connect groups. I love that. To, as they're inspiring young men and young women. Don't, don't put yourself on, on some expired list to think uh, my, my days are done. No, no, no. We need to hear your stories. I love what old John Newton said. This is the man who wrote Amazing Grace before and before. Becoming a Christian, he was a participant in the heinous crime of slave trade, um, operated a boat, and after his conversion and being born again, wrote the great hymn that sung all over the world, Amazing Grace. And when John Newton was coming to the end of his life, he said these words, when I was young, I was sure of many things. Now that I'm old, tell your story, John Newton. Tell us the story. He says, there's only two things which I'm sure of. I love this. He says, I'm a great sinner And the other is this, he's a great savior. Oh my goodness. Tell that story, John Newton. We need to know we're great sinners and hallelujah, he's a great savior. But let me tell you another thing. The old need the strength of the young. I I was reading through when old David comes to the end of his life after 50 years from the first time he met Goliath, David comes straight into four giants in 2 Samuel 21. David is approaching 65 years old. He's he's, he's becoming an old man. And in a few chapters, his his, will be his final chapters in 2 Samuel. And 50 years it's been since he faced a giant. 
And then in a few verses in 2 Samuel 15 through 22, he comes right in conflict with four different giants. In fact, he tries to take out one of those giants and the Bible tells us that he was about to be killed until Abishai, one of his mighty men, shows up as he was trying to act young when he was supposed to be a dreamer who was acting like a visionary. And then three more giants back to back to back show up. The Bible says David is weary, but I have to tell you, David is wise now. He, was, he backs off, and what's amazing is you see in that chap, in those final verses, four young men. What God was saying was, you have four giants coming. I have four mighty young men that are ready to do battle with them. That, that God goes, for every giant that's coming, for you dreamers, there's young men that God's gonna raise up. I, I, I want to hear the dreamers' giant stories to help us fight because to have a dreamer try to fight is it becomes even useless like it was for David. Listen, listen to 1 John, what John says as he begins to delineate between two age groups. He says, I'm writing to you fathers, that's the old, that's the dreamers, the old men, because you know him who's been from the beginning. That's the John Newton story. I'm a great sinner, but he's a great savior. And he says, but I've written to you also, here comes the second group, Acts 2, 17 and 18, young men. So you have here fathers and young men. And here's what he says, because you're strong. You can take out four giants. You're the ones that, that I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting on the front lines. And he says, and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Did you get that? He says, you fathers, you know him. You know the stories. You have to tell those stories. But he says, but you young men, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay strong. Stay in God's word and stay out of sin's way. Let me say those again to the young men, to the visionaries. Stay strong. Stay in God's word and stay out of sin's way. That's what John is telling them. That's when John begins to show you those two age groups and why it's critical for the last days. I, I was reading, I want to tell you what an old professor wrote on a young man man's management paper named Fred Smith at Yale University. So Fred Smith turns in this paper at Yale, and this is what the old professor writes for young Fred Smith. The concept you're writing about is interesting and well-informed, but in order to earn better than a C in this class, your idea has to be feasible. Got his paperback, got a C in the class, and Fred Smith at Yale University begins to go on because he was proposing a reliable overnight delivery system. Smith eventually, Fred Smith eventually founded Federal Express Corporation. We know it as FedEx, that the old professor simply, instead of encouraging it, says, you can't do that. Instead of saying to Fred, slay that giant, the man judged the vision. We, 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 we have to understand, we don't need the dreamers to be visionaries. We need the dreamers to be prayer warriors and to invest and to go, you can do this, Fred. We're cheering you. You can go on. You can do this. You four giant slayers. David's going, you can take them out because I can't. This is, this is what God is wanting to do in these last days. He said, I'm pouring out my spirit and I don't need a church of young people and I don't need a church of old people. I need a church of all people. I need a church of vision, visionaries and dreamers. I... I I'm so excited that so many of our connect groups are doing the 260 journey, which is a book that God just in, it really just kind of encouraged me to write on the 260 chapters of the New Testament. And, and 
every book that I sign, I put one verse, um, uh, one passage of scripture, which is my life verse. I, I, I want to share with you my life verse that I write in every single one. It's Psalm 71, 17 and 18. Listen to what it says. Oh God, you've taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And then verse 18, all of a sudden, he's getting ready for the age change. And even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to all those who are to come. I wanna say something to you today. I'm, I'm no longer a youth and I'm fast approaching the old and gray, verse 18. I'm, I'm, I'm really on a fast track towards being a dreamer. I'm kind of in between the dreamer and the visionary. I, 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 and I, but I do know this. I'm still declaring his wondrous deeds. God, God changed my life at a young age. And here I am approaching old age. And I have to tell you, when I'm old and gray, I know he won't forsake me but I will declare his strength to this generation. And I want to tell you, living for God is worth it. One of my old friends says it like this. There's a lot of happy young sinners out there, but you don't see happy old sinners. You know why? Because sin doesn't age well. It's best to be saved and old than to be lost and old. Sin doesn't age old, but those dreamers are still declaring what they're seeing. Those dreamers are still praying. Those dreamers, those old men, the old and gray, Psalm 71, 18, are still declaring your strength, God's strength to this generation. Think of this. I know that God has taught me from my youth and I'm still declaring his wondrous deeds and the most wonderful deed God has ever done for humanity was expressing his love for us by dying on the cross. It's the greatest way and that's what I want to declare today, that God loved us, God loved you so much, regardless of what you've done, regardless if you've taken his name in vain, if you turned your back on God, God loves you so much that he wants you to be in his family. He wants you to be his sons and his daughters and to live with him for eternity. I will declare this till I die. I will declare this till I die, the wonderful deeds of God and the most wonderful deed is God dying on the cross in my place for my sin and for you. So that's why, to declare this wonderful deed, I want you to know today, just listen in reality to this man who's really becoming old and gray. It is worth it to live for God. It is worth it to grow old in God. And I want to tell you, that God loves you, no matter what age you are. You could be, you could be in, in, in college right now, or you could be in retirement. You may be starting your first job, or you may be just taking money from Social Security. It doesn't matter right now. Every single one of us, every single one of us have to face the most important question. Have you been born again? It's the most important question anyone can ever ask you. And, or, or even to ask this in another way, how do you get to heaven when you die? Some say, well, I was water baptized or I've taken communion or I, I, I've, I'm going to church or our church is not open, but I'm going to church online. All these are good, but that's not what Jesus said. I want you to listen carefully. If anyone knows the directions to his own home, it's Jesus. He came from heaven to earth. 
and was here for 33 years. And when he ascended Acts chapter one back to heaven, he was telling us the way. And he told us, this is the way, John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Just, just for a moment, I want you to think. Jesus says you must be born again. It's not our words. We didn't make up those words. Those are, those are Jesus' words. What Jesus was actually saying is just as you've been born the first time physically, you need to be born the second time spiritually. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It's as simple as ABC. Like we would tell children, Learn your ABCs. These are, these are the most important ABCs you can learn because they correspond to words that are, are critical to understanding born again. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God that all of us, all of us, starting with me, have a condition called sin. And it can't be fixed by a promise. can't be fixed by a program. It can't be fixed by some religious leader or some religion. We need help to fix this. I'm broken on the inside. It's diagnosis of sin. Whereas one, as one pastor said, he said, I'm not a mistake or in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. And that's the B word. That's believe. That's where God sent his son to fix our sinful condition because I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself, but God can fix us. And he fixed us by sending his own son and dying for us on the cross. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have had to come 2,000 years ago. But Jesus' death was him paying my debt. It was him being my sin bearer. He was dying the death that I was supposed to die, living the life that I couldn't live and giving me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't deserve. And finally at sea, confessing Jesus as Lord. Boy, that's a big word, to confess him as Lord. This is, this is important to recognize because Jesus did, did not die on a cross to simply to get us to, 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 to just expect Sunday for an hour, an hour and a half from us. That's not what his intention was. He wasn't looking for one day a week. God's goal wasn't to get you simply to church. God's goal was to get you to heaven. Coming to church simply on a Sunday for an hour, two hours, that's religion. Being born again is everyday relationship. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place, but it's coming to a person. And when you say, I confess you as Lord, you're saying, you're in charge now. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, you're the boss. You are in charge of my life. I don't do what you want me to do for an hour and a half on Sunday. Every day belongs to you, God. And today, right wherever you're at, this can be that born again date for you. Just as you have a birth date where you were physically born, Today could be your born again, your second birth date. And I'm going to tell you, right now, wherever you're at, if that's the journey you want to take, and I'm telling you, it's the greatest journey, I will, I will tell of his wonderful deeds, and when I get old and gray, which I'm, I'm very quickly approaching, very quickly, I'm just telling you, I'm going to, I'm going to declare his strength to this generation. And God is strong to save everyone, no matter what you've done. God is able to change you. God is able to save you. And if you're listening to me right now and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start that journey. I want to be changed from the inside out. I want to invite you to make the greatest decision of your life. I want you to pray a prayer with me. I want you to take a journey with me. Where you're asking God for that second birth to be born again. And wherever you're at, if you're listening, whether it's on a Sunday or a Monday, it doesn't matter what day of the week, if you're listening right now and you say, Pastor Tim, I want to take that journey, 
I want you to pray with me right now. Come on, wherever you're at, I want you to pray these words with me. Come, if you can, say them out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.